Uh, if you're in your reading plan this week, you would have read through Titus, and um, you would have read that through that entire book, and you would have read all one chapter of Philemon. So, steamrolling through the Bible. I mean, we're two books, two whole books this week uh, that you would have gone through, uh, and that's where we're going to be tonight. Uh, just as a side note, uh, I derived a lot of my notes and my thoughts tonight from a, a book called The Message of the New Testament by Mark Dever, and uh, I thought his um, overview of the book of Philemon was really good. So I took a lot of my notes from him, so I just want to make sure that he has the credit tonight uh, for what I share with you this evening. So uh, a little bit about Philemon. Philemon was, uh, of course, as we've heard, one of the prison epistles. Um, it was when Paul was in prison, he wrote this letter to uh, the man Philemon. Uh, it's one of Paul's, it is Paul's shortest letter. Um, one of the interesting things, and, and yes, it was to a man, it was to the man Philemon, but it was also to the church. And you're going to see that in a little uh, part that we read tonight. It was, yes, specifically for Philemon about an issue uh, in his life, in their life, and but it was to the church. And so I want us to make sure that we take the message that we hear tonight because it was meant for the church. Um, Philemon was a very well-off Roman citizen. He was from Colossae. Uh, Philemon more than likely met Paul on his trip, on a trip to Ephesus while Paul was in Ephesus. And he probably became a follower of Jesus at that time. Excuse me. Later, when one of Paul's buddies, uh, Epaphras, he starts a church. He goes back to Colossae and he starts a community, a church group, uh, in which Philemon will be a leader within that church group. And it will actually, uh, Philemon will be the, the man who will host church within the confines of his home and, and inside of his house. And, and if you can recall, I, I taught on Colossians a few uh, weeks back. One of the things about a Colossians is that um, this was to a group of people whom Paul had never met. Uh, this was to, besides a few people, Paul had never met anyone from this church. He had never visited this church. But throughout Paul's letters, you will see that this church was an encouragement to him. He prayed for this church. Uh, and so Philemon would have been a part of that group, uh, praying for this group in Colossae. Uh, and so, as mentioned, uh, Philemon... As I said, Philemon was a very well-to-do person within this city, a well-to-do person within this church. But one of the things that Philemon owned was slaves. And one of those slaves was a man by the name of Onesimus. And at some point in their relationship, something goes sour. Something goes sour to such a degree that Onesimus decides he wants out. He doesn't want to be a slave for Philemon anymore. Uh, and so they have a disagreement of some sorts. It doesn't say exactly what it was. Maybe it was theft. Maybe it was him cheating him in some way. But Onesimus, he ends up leaving. He hits the road. And at some point along the way, as he leaves Philemon, he runs into Paul. Like I said, Paul was in prison. So some way or another, he runs into Paul, whether this was a time when Paul was in prison, whether this was a time when Paul was out of prison, it doesn't exactly say, but he runs into Paul. And in his, 
conversations with Paul. Eventually, he uh, starts following Jesus. He becomes a Christ follower. And then Paul is going to be left with this very difficult situation. Because one, he knows Philemon. He has uh, written letters to the church in Colossae. He knows Philemon personally. And then all of a sudden, this slave, former slave of Philemon shows up, Onesimus. And he becomes a Christ follower. And at this point, we're going to see that uh, even Onesimus starts to serve with Paul. Becomes kind of Paul's right-hand man there. And so, with this difficult situation that has arisen in their life, we're going to see that... uh, God is doing something. And we're going to see that from the letter that he writes to Philemon. So we're about to read the entire text. You thought I was joking, but I'm not. Uh, One of the interesting things about uh, the book of Philemon, uh, like many of the books that um, Paul writes, uh, many of the letters that Paul writes, is that he includes a lot of people. And you're going to see 12 different people mentioned in the book of Philemon out of 25 verses. So there's a lot of people within it, but we are not going to focus on all 12 of those people. We're going to focus on three specific people tonight. So as we encounter these men, um, I hope God shows us something for our own lives. And that leads us to our big idea this evening. It says, as Christ followers, we are called to have an attitude of forgiveness and reconciliation. An attitude of forgiveness and reconciliation. So with that said, let's start with Philemon 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and of your faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus Christ for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Paul thought very well of Philemon. Accordingly, this is good stuff, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you, And to me, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while that you may have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, 
as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even of your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Then he goes on. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, be with your spirit. That's the word of God. Let's pray this evening. God, we thank you for this letter. Uh, And Father, I know that this was a letter between two brothers about another brother. But you have so much to show us through this letter. So, Father, I pray that right now you would just open our hearts to hear uh, from these brothers in Christ. And I pray that as we read the words off this page that you have given to us, that you would open our eyes to see uh, the truth of your word and how you would have us to apply it to our own lives. So that we would have an attitude for forgiveness and we would seek out reconciliation in our own lives. We ask this all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So it's a very fascinating letter that we are in tonight, but it starts by taking a look at these three major characters within the book. So let's start with Onesimus. Uh, And Onesimus is someone needing forgiveness. Paul refers to Onesimus as uh, no longer a slave. Now, before we go on any further, I think it would be very important for us to clarify what I mean by slave. Because I said Philemon had slaves, and Onesimus was one of those slaves. And because of where we live, and because of the history that our country has lived out, and because of the history that we have in our country, um, that word is very tarnished. To say a slave uh, is a, carries a very negative connotation. But the definition uh, would not have meant that in the New Testament world. In the New Testament world, slavery was absolutely 100% not specific to any race. Didn't have anything to do with race. And slaves were not limited to one certain type of job. In most of uh, Paul's day... For the most part, when they said slaves, it was more like indentured servants. So if someone owed you a debt, if someone owed you money, they could come to your house, they could work for you until they paid off that debt, and then they could go on their way. Uh, Sometimes these slaves were willing slaves, meaning if a certain family could not provide for their family, they didn't have the means to provide for their family, they said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to come and work for you. You will provide our meals. You will give us a place to lay our head at night. You can uh, teach our children. A lot of of these indentured servants were teachers. A lot of these indentured servants were doctors. Uh, 
there's some comment, uh, commentaries that uh, talk about uh, maybe even some of the disciples being uh, servants in this way, indentured servants. So when this talks about slaves, owning slaves, it's not like what we think in American history as slavery. It was more like indentured servants. And, and so Onesimus, here is a slave. And so a few verses to point out between the relationship between Onesimus and Philemon. Uh, look at verse 11. Paul refers to Onesimus as being useless to Philemon. Um, Paul then in verse 14 acknowledges the fact that he would not remain with Paul without Philemon's consent. I, I don't want him to stay here with me unless I have your consent. Verse 15, he talks about their separation. In verse 18, he talks about maybe something specific. He gets specific about Onesimus' wronging Philemon when he left. He didn't do what was right. He didn't do what was expected of him. And based on what we see in verse 18, some commentaries argue that when it says, if he owes you anything, suggesting that possibly there was theft, Possibly Onesimus stole from Philemon when he left. He stole some money, stole some goods, and he left. So this would have been uh, something that would have been caused a lot of friction between uh, these two men. But something life-changing happens to Onesimus. So let's look at his conversion. He ends up finding Paul. And in the company of Paul, along with Paul, he becomes a Christ follower. Verse 10. It says, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. You know, as Onesimus becomes a Christ follower, a Christian, a servant to Paul, Paul says that he became useful to him. Not only useful to him, that he was going to be useful to Philemon. He says he becomes very dear to Paul. My Bible footnote in the bottom of my Bible, I have an ESV study Bible, says this. Paul then wonders if God had been sovereignly involved in this situation so that Philemon may receive Onesimus back now as a fellow Christian who will therefore be all the more useful to Philemon. So Paul will um, feel so strongly about this, about Onesimus, that he writes to Philemon. And he says, he says, Onesimus is my very heart. I mean, I want you to feel the weight of how he feels about this former slave of Philemon. About this brother in Christ. Now, at this point, when I read this passage as I was studying to teach tonight, I just stopped and I wanted to say, okay. It would be very easy for Paul. It would be very easy for Onesimus to look at this situation and go, okay, I was a bad guy. I shouldn't have run away. I shouldn't have stolen the money. But now I'm a Christ follower. My life has changed. Why don't I just take everything else? The past is in the past. I'm going to move on. I'm going to do what's right. Seems like it would be a pretty good idea. But Paul sees this differently. Paul sees it in a different light. Onesimus needed to address the wrongs that he had committed against Philemon. And so this reconciliation needed to take place between he and his former master. And so Paul here is going to encourage him 
to make it right, to do the right thing. Uh, And think about the difficulty this must have been to tell someone who was a slave who had possibly stolen from his master, did something wrong in some way, it doesn't specifically say, and he ran away. All of these things would have been punishable by death. For him to leave, for him to steal, all of these things would have been punishable by death. And this would be a very difficult thing to be asked to do. We know this because Paul is going to write a letter specifically to Philemon. He's going to hand it to Onesimus. He say, you take this with you. Philemon is my brother. He will listen to me. And I want you to go back. So a slave who ran away, possibly stole from his master, finds Paul. In finding Paul, he meets Jesus. And now he's about to step up to the front door of his former master's house, letter in hand. How awkward this interaction must have been for the first time, right? The door opens, and there stands Philemon. Imagine the emotions that are going, uh, going there. And so, Onesimus, he needed forgiveness. 100% needed forgiveness. He was helpless to repay the debt that he had. Uh, cared for only by the man who was sitting far away in a prison. Okay, Sends him with the leather. He has zero to offer to Philemon. He deserves punishment. Maybe even deserves death. He has zero excuse to make. He knows he ran away. So he is a picture of someone who needs forgiveness. Next, let's look at Philemon. Someone with the opportunity to forgive. With the opportunity to forgive. Let's look at verse 17. So if you consider me your partner... Receive him as you would receive me. So Paul is going to tell Philemon, I know how you feel about me. I know how I'm your brother. You consider me to be a brother. And he tells him that here. He goes, I want you to treat your former slave the exact same way that you would treat me. I mean, if he knew Paul was coming, he would prepare a feast. He would prepare the guest room. He would have everything ready for a celebration to hang out with Paul. He goes, I want you to treat this former slave the exact same way. The man who ran away from you, possibly stole from you, I want you to welcome him back. You know, I think about friends who come over to my house. And we all have those friends who are close enough that they don't have to ask if you have anything to drink. They just go get it, right? They wouldn't even have to ask if they can turn on the TV. They would just do it, right? We all have those types of friends. That's what he's saying. That's how you would treat me. I want you to treat Onesimus the same way. This would have been very difficult, very difficult for him to do. And then Paul is going to get very, very personal. Look at verse 18 and 19. If he has wronged you at all, Or if he owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. It is one thing to welcome somebody back into your home, right? Someone that's ran away, someone who's wronged you, someone who stole from you. But it's, but the welcoming Back, meaning that 
Things need to be made right. If someone's wronged you, you almost want them to come up and say, you know what, I'm sorry. I apologize. I didn't do it how I was supposed to do it. And you almost want it to be made right before you welcome them back, right? That's how it should be. Uh, Notice what Paul does not say in this passage. Philemon, you know what? You're well to do in the church. I've blessed you. You know, Paul says, you know, God's blessed you a lot. You're wealthy. Forgive and forget, man. Just wipe his debt clean. Forget it. Forget it. It's in the past. Let's move on. That's not what Paul says. He acknowledges the wrong that has taken place. He acknowledges the need for reconciliation. He acknowledges the need for forgiveness. And he says, charge it to me. Put it on me. Now let's stop and think about that for a second. Is Philemon really supposed to wait for Paul to show up? And then as soon as Paul knocks on the door, he's supposed to take out the tablet. and be like, You owe me $12,546. No, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying that, you know, I'm just going to pay this debt. Forgiving Onesimus involves solving or, or resolving this debt that was owed. It's not simply sweeping it under the rug. For, forgive, forgetting and forgiving it and forgetting it. That's not what it's about. In this moment, Philemon has a real choice set before him. A real choice. A real difficult choice. Former slaves sent back with a letter from a brother in Christ. And then Paul writes verse 21 and 22. <laughs> this is good. An ultimate slap in the face. Here you go. Confident in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, nonetheless, prepare a guest room for me. For I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously giving to you. In other words, I am going to follow up about this situation. I'm going to see how all this is going to turn out. And Philemon could expect Paul to come in and check on him. And to check on his brother Onesimus. Not only was forgiveness expected. But it sounds as if Philemon will have to show this forgiveness towards Onesimus. And his actions. And Paul wanted to see that in actions. Now, there's also a very small wrinkle in this story. That I think we as Americans can relate to. uh, Because... Think about Philemon and his role in the church. He was a leader in the church. He was a prominent leader in the church. He had an important position within the church. And so, um, he was one of only a few people that actually knew Paul. This would have been a big deal to people within the church or even people within the community. Are you really going to welcome this guy back in? Someone who stole from you? Someone who ran away and you're just going to welcome him back? And so this man who had met Paul as a leader in the church, Philemon was in a place that he should forgive Onesimus. So how difficult can this really be? As we really think about it today, because I think today in America, as well as in biblical days, I don't think forgiveness was something that was considered very honorable. Let me explain what I mean. You're like, oh, forgiveness is always honorable. I mean, sometimes it's a real show of weakness to the world. I know in America today, if you were to forgive someone who's wronged you in a very difficult manner, 
And when people see that, they're like, well, they're weak. They can't help but forgive. They want to stay friends with them. So they're going to forgive so that they can stay in a right standing with that person. They're not willing to take a stand and make it right. Um, And so, ultimately, he could bring shame on himself and shame on his home by offering forgiveness to someone who had wronged him in this manner. And maybe by offering forgiveness to Onesimus, he would embolden his other slaves to treat him in the same way. Well, if he's going to let that guy get away with that, then I can get away with running away as well. If he isn't going to get in trouble, why not do it for myself? You know, we live in a world that loves justice. Uh, If you want proof of that, uh, watch television between noon and four any day during the the week. You're going to see Judge Judy and Judge this and Judge that. I mean, we want to see that stuff. And we want to see justice done for people who have wronged others. We love to see it. We love to see it here in this situation. Onesimus deserves justice. He ran away. He wronged Philemon in some way. How much more would Philemon have felt this way about Onesimus? Because we want life to be fair. And when life isn't fair, we absolutely lose our minds. I want you to try to put yourself in Philemon's shoes and think about how he must feel towards this former slave. And then a letter from a brother telling you, you know what, forgive. You have to forgive and you have to accept him as a brother. This would go against everything that he would have known. And so, after all that is said and done, isn't Philemon obligated to forgive? I mean, he's a leader within the church. And when you consider the pleas of Paul, his public role in the church, and the fact that he had trusted Jesus for his forgiveness of sins, can Philemon respond in a different way than to forgive? Can he respond in any other way than to forgive? Look at verse 6 again. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. You're like, okay, what is that supposed to mean? Well, you know, this verse is oftentimes taken out of Philemon, and it's used to say, um, you will grow as a Christian when you share your faith. When you share the gospel, you will grow as a Christian. And while I do think that if you share the gospel and you share the truth about Jesus, I do think you will grow as a Christian, that is not what this text is saying. That is not what that verse is specifically saying. Paul here is not talking about sharing the gospel with an unbeliever. Paul here is talking about expressing forgiveness to a Christian brother. Both of them know Jesus. It's not talking about sharing the gospel with someone who doesn't know the gospel. This is talking about the gospel, what Jesus has done for sinners, and what that means in your relationship towards other believers. And so, when Philemon uh, brings Onesimus back into his family, when he restores him, when he loves him, when he forgives him, the Bible is saying, what Paul is saying here, is that you will have a fuller understanding of what Jesus has done for you when you treat your brother in that way. 
you'll have a fuller understanding of what Christ has done for you. Philemon has this opportunity to forgive. Forgive because you have been forgiven. You're going to hear that again in a minute. But in that forgiveness, you will have a deeper understanding and uh, a truer understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that is Philemon. Let's take a look at Paul. And Paul is someone who encourages forgiveness. Paul is someone who encourages forgiveness. I love how God will bring Onesimus to Paul. Paul's going to share the gospel with him. And yes, Paul is going to send him back with this written letter to Philemon. Verse 17, receive him as you would receive me. And in this text, that passage right there when he says, receive him as you would receive me. This is really the only time that Paul is uh, asking anything directly of Philemon. All the other ones are kind of this roundabout way of asking. Um, All of the other requests, he uses this language of asking for himself. He's like saying, don't do these things for Onesimus, do them for me. This is the only time he asks him to do something specifically on behalf of Onesimus. Receive him as you would receive me. And so... He would be forgiving this debt to Onesimus. uh, But Paul is saying, just give it to me. I'll take it. I'll be willing to pay the bill in order to see this relationship restored. To him, it was worth it. Verse 20, he says, refresh my heart in Christ. And so Paul here is just appealing to Philemon uh, to to extend forgiveness to this brother. And he says, in extending forgiveness to him, you are extending forgiveness to me. I care for him that much. He is my very heart. Paul is willing to invest the time, the money, the energy, the prepare a place for me. I'm coming. He's willing to invest anything and everything to see these two brothers in Christ reconciled to each other. To make things right. And Paul would appeal to Philemon about restoring his slave back to him. But how would he do it? Let's check out this method. Sometimes this method works really good. For Paul it was really good. For us sometimes we'll see. Paul's going to be pushy. To see, say that Paul is pushy in this passage is, uh, is an understatement. He goes beyond the boundaries of what many of, the, of us would consider appropriate. For most friend circles. Um, He's going to be very point blank, uh, put Philemon on the spot about being just direct and straight to the point. Uh, Here is this well-off businessman. He's probably not used to being talked to in this manner. How should he handle this situation with this runaway slave? And so as Paul mentions earlier in the letter, he says he was useless to you. He was a useless slave. Mark Dever mentions here in the book of uh, in this book that Onesimus might have been a Phrygian slave. And you're like, well, what is a Phrygian slave? I had to look it up too. I didn't know. Uh, but it says they were Greek slaves. Okay, and not just Greek slaves, but most of the time they had the worst jobs. They had the jobs that no one else wanted to do. Uh, they were. And as what Paul said here, and maybe that's exactly why he used this word. They were considered to be useless slaves. These Phrygian slaves would oftentimes be, if you owed a debt to someone else, we're here, take this slave. 
They're useless to me. And so uh, maybe that's why he uses that word here. It would have been very easy for Philemon to be offended to bring back this useless slave back into his home. Paul keeps going. Paul doesn't... uh, Paul does not pull rank here, but he comes very close. Look at verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. In other words, I can make you do it if you don't want to listen to me. But I don't want it to be that way. He says, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul... An old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you, brother, to offer this forgiveness. To accept him in the same way that you would accept me. The same love that you have shown to the saints. You should show that same type of love here. His appeal from Paul uh, to Philemon is one of sincerity. It's one of love. And Paul wants to see this relationship mended. He wants it to be restored ultimately uh, so that God can get the glory for what takes place in their life. And so think of the effort and the time that Paul must have put into this reconciliation, this letter. You know, sometimes it takes time and effort in our own lives. One, to seek out reconciliation and forgiveness for someone that maybe we need forgiveness for. But to to extend forgiveness to someone who maybe has wronged you. It's very difficult. It's not uh, popular in our world today. But in the same way that Paul is appealing to Philemon to offer this forgiveness, uh, we are to be uh, on in the same mindset of them. So Paul is a great picture of someone who encourages or appeals for. Forgiveness. So a few things that I want us to take away from this evening. A few takeaways. Number one, we should be peacemakers. We should be peacemakers. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall shall be called sons of God. There is something very Christ-like, something very Jesus-like when we make peace with someone. Even if we help to make peace between two parties. Um, there, I was doing some marriage counseling with this couple a few years back. And uh, they were about 45 days away from being wed. 45 days out from being married from the big day. Uh, invitations were out. Gifts were starting to come in. The arrangements were being made. Dresses had been bought. Tuxes had been rented 45 days out. And both of these, uh, both of these parties, um, the bride and the groom, on separate occasions came to me in one week's time and said, things aren't good. They're just not right. Uh, they're not easy. Uh, and, uh, and one of the things that I always say in marriage class, I'm saying is dating is the easiest part. If you think marriage is going to fix the dating problems, then you're in for a long ride. So they both come to me, and it's very obvious that these two need help. So I bring them both together. We sit there in uh, my office, and we talk about it. And uh, the next day, the wedding was called off. You're like, 
Okay, this is a great story, Corey. Thanks a lot. Um, 30 days out from the wedding, they called it off. We did some counseling. We did several days of counseling. We talked it out. Uh, I individually talked to each of them. Again, it didn't work out. So 30 days out from the wedding, they split it off. They called off the wedding. I want you to think about, uh, and one of the things that I talked to both of them about was the embarrassment, uh, the hurt from both families, from both sides, the hurt that it caused me. I mean, how does it feel to do marriage counseling for somebody and they just split up? You're like, that's great. Fast forward one year after the split. One year later, uh, that couple, one of the couple comes back to me, come in my office, huge tears in their eyes. And they said, I think I made the biggest mistake of my life. And I literally looked at that person. I said, yes, you did. I really thought they did at that point. Uh, and said, man, I messed it up. I don't know how I can make it right. And I said, well, you can try by just maybe contacting that person and having a conversation with that person, apologizing to that person. Now, they may not want to talk to you. I don't know many people that would want to talk to you after something like that. The embarrassment of all that stuff. But they started those difficult conversations. From that moment... Speaking to me, almost a year to the day later, uh, they came back into my office and they were engaged again. Go figure, right? And it's amazing that in Marriage Counseling 2.0, I told them that they were different people than they were before. Uh, they were very selfish in the beginning. They were much less selfish, very more um, selfless than they were selfish. I told them that their priorities had changed. Now, even as the reconciliation had started to take place, uh, there was some very, very difficult and hard uh, obstacles to overcome in that year. The awkward conversations. The, you know what? I really don't want to talk to you. Don't call me again. Okay. Uh, contacting them anyway. Happy birthday. And it's amazing how... God brought them back together. Uh, in speaking with them this week and asking their permission to share this story, some of the hardest days that they had were the very first conversations of reconciliation. And I'm, I say that story because I'm telling you that reconciliation and forgiveness is very hard things to offer and give to someone else. Some very difficult um, um, conversations to have. I, I know... When we think about, uh, this is kind of goofy, but Medea has this line of forgiveness is not for them, it's for you. I kind of believe that in some, in some aspects. When you offer forgiveness to someone, even if they say, I don't forgive you, you're like, okay, I, did, I tried. I did my part. Because there's something wired within us when you become a Christ follower to offer forgiveness and to be right with people, especially brothers and sisters in Christ. We are called to be that way. It's not easy. It's very hard. We are called to be peacemakers. And you know, for Paul, it would have been very easy for him to just leave it as it was. To keep Onesimus as a servant for him. He goes, he was useful for me, but he's going to send him back. In essence, he's losing a servant. He's losing a friend uh, 
that was there for him. And he's given him back to. And he's trying to make peace and reconciliation between these two brothers. And if you are a true follower of Christ. If you truly do love Jesus. Being a peacemaker should be a part of your DNA. Uh, Now before I move on. I'm just going to give caution. This was something I added in here. But. Uh, I just want to give you a warning. This does not mean sticking your nose where it doesn't belong. Okay? Just want to put that disclaimer out there. Uh, sometimes, you know, Paul was brothers with both of them, so he was doing something in a work to bring them back together and reconcile their friendship. If you see two people over here having a quarrel and it's not your business, maybe you need to make it your business, maybe you don't. I'm just saying, I just thought maybe I need to say that. But it's not an invitation to invite yourself into someone else's drama. And so, I don't know why I needed to say that, but we need to be peacemakers. Okay, Uh, like Paul. Let's move on. We should be willing to forgive. This is also a hard one. When someone has wronged you or done something against you, we are to forgive. Uh, Big or small, easy or difficult. I love this story about Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, He used to tell a story about a Texan that might actually pardon a man who had shot him on purpose. But he would surely never pardon a man who shot him accidentally. Malicious intent he could stand, but the sheer incompetence of a man who could not handle a gun he could not tolerate. Now, we might laugh at that, but that's kind of how petty we are with forgiveness. We can forgive people for doing big, huge, wrong things against us. But you know what? If someone cuts us off in traffic, oh, we'll say some dirty things under our breath towards them, won't we? We won't offer forgiveness. You know, let me hit the brakes, let you in. I'm sorry. No, no, they wronged us and we're going to be mad. Uh, And so... Big or small, we are to offer forgiveness, easy or difficult. And so, as Christians, we should forgive. And anger and resentment uh, that our world holds on to and what our screens on our mobile devices show us every day, it's not worth it. I'm just here to tell you it's not worth it. It's very important that we forgive those who have wronged us. Remember when Jesus taught his disciples, this is really good. Matthew 6, 12 says this. This is in uh, the Lord's Prayer. Pay very close attention and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Or forgive us in the same way that we offer forgiveness to others. You're like, oh. Do you really want to be forgiven in the same way that you offer forgiveness? It's a very... Very important question to ask yourself. Because the next time you pray the Lord's Prayer, I want you to think about that. Do I really want to be forgiven in the same way that I offer forgiveness to other people? It's not worth hanging on to bitterness. It's not worth having that hard heart. Uh, Lastly, we should see our own need for forgiveness. Our need for forgiveness. If we truly have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we have come to grasp that we to grasp that we are a sinner in need of a Savior, that God is holy, 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 and uh, different than us. We uh, are in need of forgiveness of our sins, and that God, ha- in His great love, has sent Jesus to die for our sins. One of the things that 
sets us apart from the rest of the world is our ability to forgive when someone does us wrong. We live in a very sinful and fallen world. Uh, and so we, even as Christians, we still sin against one another. Uh, I wish it stopped when we became Christians, but it doesn't. We still sin against one another. We still make each other mad. Sometimes we make people mad and we don't know about it. Sometimes we offend people and we don't know about it. Uh, but do we offer forgiveness or do we look like the rest of the world? Also, we should seek God's forgiveness. Do When we truly stop and spend time with God and we are able to uphold Him as holy... To see our situation, our sinful and pitiful state apart from Him. We really do stop and understand that we are in need of forgiveness. And if we can't comprehend that, then we have some work to do with the Lord, right? So like Onesimus, we walk to God. The one that we have sinned against. We have sinned against our Creator. We've turned our backs from Him. We've done things our own way. And we come to the Father, letter in hand, and the letter says this. Father, you remember Corey. He wronged you. He stole from you. Whatever he did against you. He ran away. He did things his own way. I know he messed up, but guess what? He's mine. His debt, whatever he owed, credit that to me. I paid for it. I've paid the price. Welcome him back to you as you are welcome, as you would welcome me back. Sign Jesus. You know what? We need God's love in our life. We need to understand what Jesus has offered to us when he died in our place, when he lived the life that we couldn't, when he died the death that we deserved, the forgiveness that is given to us through Jesus. How can we not forgive other people for the small things that they've done to us? Compared to how we have sinned against a holy God, what people have done to us, to us is nothing. It's petty. And we should offer the same type of forgiveness that God has extended to us. So put the uh, Lord's Prayer back up as we end. It ends with this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Be very difficult with how you offer forgiveness and how you seek reconciliation with people. Because we forgive much because we have been forgiven more. We've been forgiven more. Let's pray this evening.